Hello and welcome to the podcast of tech.eu. I am your host, Andrew Degler. In today's show, we have got some funding rumors, a handful of acquisitions, a mandatory SPAC news briefing, and a pinch of policy goodness. Later on, I will also play you an interview with Mathieu Botard, the managing editor of Bodyguard, that is a French tech startup that protects social media users against cyberbullying, hate speech, and toxic content online. Before we dive in, a quick announcement slash plug. We at tech.eu have been quite active on Clubhouse recently, so if you are already there, do make sure to check out our events. Every Tuesday at 4.30 CET in the evening, I host an informal hangout where I talk to people whom we interviewed for the podcast in the past. For the next two events, I have got a great stellar lineup. It includes Sasha Michaud, the co-founder of Glovo, Avi Mayer, the CEO and co-founder of Travel Per and Carlos Espinal, the managing partner of Seedcamp. So do tune in every Tuesday at half past four CET on Clubhouse. And now let us take a glimpse at this week's news. I usually start the show with actual funding rounds, you know, but this time let us talk about a couple of rumored ones, which appear to be quite interesting. TechCrunch reports that Hopin, uh, the hyper-fast-growing virtual event unicorn, is looking to raise 400 million US dollars at a valuation of 5 to 6 billion US dollars. This really looks kind of crazy for a company that was founded less than two years ago. However, according to the same report, Andreessen Horowitz and General Catalyst are likely to be writing the check. I will quote TechCrunch's Steve here and Danny Crichton directly. One source told TechCrunch that the company's ARR has grown to 60 million US dollars, implying a valuation multiple of 80 to 100x if the valuation we are hearing pans out. That sort of multiple would not be out of line with other major fundraisers for star companies with SaaS-based business models. The quote ends. Next up, another big rumored fundraise, this time by Klarna. According to different reports, the buy now pay later company is raising between 500 million and 1 billion US dollars. The targeted valuation could be as high as 31 billion US dollars. This is likely to be the last funding round before Klarna's long awaited IPO that is supposed to be coming quite soon. The company has also just announced its results from the year 2020. Klarna reported a 40% increase in net operating income in 2020, breaking the $1 billion income threshold for the first time. Klarna says it now has 18 million people using its app on a monthly basis, with 87 million having used its service to shop, pay, and bank in 2020. Klarna's net loss, however, also widened to about 167 million US dollars from about 109 million US dollars a year earlier. But there is more to add about Klarna's IPO I wanted to mention. The company's CEO, Sebastian Semyatkovsky, told Reuters that he is considering a direct listing rather than a traditional IPO. This way, the company wouldn't sell any new shares and so not raise any additional money right away, but also it would not have to jump through the marketing hoops on, of the normal public listing. Additionally, Semyatkovsky said that there is no way in hell that Klarna would go public through a SPAC. His words were, I quote, I am happy to kill these SPAC's rumors as I feel that's very, very unlikely. No one has yet convinced me about why that would be a preferential route, the quote ends. 
Speaking of SPACs, our own Robin Wouters reported this week that the founder of HelloFresh, Dominic Richter, has filed for a 300 million US dollar SPAC in the US, together with Roman Kirsch, a Berlin-based serial tech entrepreneur and investor. Also involved on a management team level is Spiro Corsanos, uh, the founder of Fuse Venture Partners, who played a pivotal role at Rocket Internet and Global Founders Capital in the past. I also wanted to briefly mention another recent SPAC that we talked about last week, and uh, that's the Lake Star one, the one sponsored by Klaus Hommels. The SPAC has in the meantime started trading in Frankfurt and officially became the largest technology-focused blank check company in Europe. The shares are now trading at around 11 euros apiece compared to the issue price of 10 euros per share. Next up, acquisitions. Kazoo, a UK-based online car retailer and another likely candidate for an IPO this year, has purchased a German car subscription platform called Cluno. We don't know how much Kazoo paid for it, but we understand why it did so in the first place. A couple of months ago in December, Kazoo also acquired another car subscription company that's called Drover, and that one is based in the UK. It also announced that it would launch its own car subscription service in the first half of 2021, and now it seems like the rollout won't be limited by just the UK. And another deal, online design platform Canva has acquired two European startups, Kaleido AI from Vienna and Smart Mockups based in Czechia. To give you a bit of context, I will lose quote the report by our editor Robin Wouters. So Kaleido will enhance Canva's platform with new integrations for advanced photo editing and AI-driven automation tools to try and turn it into a one-stop shop for every design need. Kaleido is the company behind uh, services like Remove .bg and Unscreen, which remove backgrounds from photos and videos with one click of a button. Smart Mockups, on the other hand, lets people quickly create realistic design mockups ranging from t-shirts to flyers, mugs, books, magazines, and devices. Both Kaleido and Smart Mockups will continue to operate autonomously from their existing locations in Europe. In other mighty European startup news, TransferWise has announced its rebranding to just Wise showing that it's got ambition well beyond just a money transfer platform. I will quote our report by Annie Musgrove. Originally launched in 2011 as a money transfer service for people, the company has expanded to build a cross-border payment network that serves 10 million personal and business customers. That amounts to 4.5 billion British pounds in cross-border transactions every month, with customers reportedly saving a total of about 1 billion pounds a year compared to making the same transactions with traditional banks. In addition to personal and business accounts, the UK company offers Wise Platform, which other fintech companies like Monzo, GoCardless, and Xero use to serve their own customers. From today, users can opt into the website in its new home, wise.com. The final switch over for all customers to the Wise brand will take place in March. The quote ends. I also want to mention that Annie Musgrove, who wrote this report I've just quoted, is sadly leaving tech.eu to pursue new personal and professional frontiers. It's been a huge pleasure working with Annie, and I am very sad to see her go, but I'm also very excited, of course, to see what she applies her talent to next. Annie, I know you're listening to this show. I wish you all the best and I certainly hope to see you around. Thank you so much for all the great times. This also, however, means that next week we will welcome our new news reporter and you won't believe who that's going to be. Keep an eye on the website for the special announcement. Now, back to the news.
Last Friday, after the podcast went out, as it usually happens, a big regulatory news came from the UK. After five years of legal back and forth, the country's top court ruled that Uber drivers must be qualified as workers and not as self-employed. This means that the drivers are entitled to rights, including a minimum wage, working time protections, and holiday pay. To quote Politico.eu, in setting out its judgment, the court said its decision was based on several key elements. That Uber sets the fare and contract terms, that the company quote-unquote constrains drivers' choice of whether or not to accept a ride request, and that it exercises quote-unquote significant control over the way in which drivers deliver their services. The company also restricts communications between the passenger and the driver, the court said. The quote ends. So this particular ruling only covers the 25 drivers who brought this case up back in 2016. They will now get a compensation from Uber, we don't know how much yet, this is a decision that will have to be made later. The company said that since 2016 it has made changes to the way it operates, but it does seem quite likely that eventually Uber will have to give all its drivers the worker status. In addition to that, Uber seems to be facing a £2 billion tax bill, because previously it actually did not pay VAT thanks to the independent status of its drivers, and if this is to change, then it will have to pay quite a hefty amount of money. And another important story on the same topic is that the European Commission has launched a legislative process that should result in better regulation of gig economy block-wide, including the likes of Uber, Deliveroo, and so on and so forth. The first stage is a consultation that will be open for at least six weeks, and further down the line we will be able to see more concrete proposals coming from the Commission. Now, it is time to get to our today's interview. This time it is a conversation with Mathieu Botard, uh, the managing director of Bodyguard, and we are talking about the ways to fight bullying and toxicity online. First of all, uh, thank you for joining today. And uh, if we can start with uh, yourself first and then move to Bodyguard later. So who are you and what is it that you have been doing over the past, I know, 10 years, let's put it this way. Okay, 10 years. Uh, so my name is Matthew Boutard. Uh, today I'm the Managing Director at Bodyguard. From a very young age, um, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. You know, I've never seen myself in a corporate. And um, yeah, just wanted to you know, build my own product, uh, my own projects. Um, and so I started uh, with uh, microfinance. Um, it was very, mm -hmm. very um, you know, high at the time uh, with Mohamed Yunus. And uh, I was like, I love the idea. I love the idea of like having very small projects and making it possible for everybody. So I studied mm -hmm. there, uh, went to Bangladesh uh, for a couple of months to see um, firsthand how it was, uh, it was done. And then uh, I replicated the more uh, in Europe. Because, uh, you know, at the, at the end of the day, the idea is to give a, like a, a small amount of money to, to someone who doesn't have any, you know, support or backup. So I studied there, uh, founded um, the first microfinance organization in Europe. Uh, back in 2008, wow. and which was pretty interesting. And then at the exact same time in the US, uh, there was a, a new model around, you know, group buying. It was called Groupon. Groupon started at the exact right. same time. And, you know, like microfinance, uh, local group, group buying kind of makes sense. So I was like, I'm going to build a, a new section to the, the, the my project, uh, which was kind of a copy of, uh, of Groupon. Uh, got some money to um, kick things off. Like eight months after I co-founded uh, CityDeal, which was the, the copy of Groupon, we got acquired by Groupon, uh, right. which was a, yeah, pretty quick. Uh, and uh, by the way, Groupon was the, is the fastest growing company ever, uh, which is kind of cool. 
So John, uh, John Groupon uh, went to the US uh, for a year over there, you know, keep on building the business. And uh, I left three years after, uh, just after the IPO. The IPO meant that the business was not really managed uh, the way it was before. It was very much a social business uh, in the very beginning, uh, which was very appealing to me. And this is what I, you know, I envisioned for the business. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like uh, shareholders came up and all of that. So I was like, this <laughs> is my, my time to go, uh, time to leave. And I got approached by Google. So I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a go, see what it looks like inside. Um, <laughs> kind of a big corporate there. Uh, so join Google and, uh, and stayed seven years. <laughs> so yeah, it was not, was not uh, as bad as I thought in the, in the first place. So at Google, uh, Google, what, I've, what I was doing uh, at the end, uh, I work for Google.org, which is the philanthropic arm of Google. Uh, my job was to find and support NGOs with innovative ideas, um, especially around online safety and digital inclusion. And this is actually when I realized that the issue was massive. The issue, the issue is really, really big, especially on, on safety, on children protection. I was like, this is my time to get back to entrepreneurship. This is my time to, to give back. And uh, that's why I joined uh, Bodyguard uh, last year, and which is much, uh, very much uh, an entrepreneurial story. Uh, Bodyguard was founded by uh, Charles. Uh, Charles is 24. Uh, he has built Bodyguard in his bedroom for the last three years, doing R&D. And it's a very, very um, passionating and, um, and very exciting story. He was the, the only one challenging the big tech, saying what you're actually doing on social media is not right. Uh, and let me show you uh, how, how it's supposed to be done. And, you know, like 21 and, you know, <laughs> kind of brave, uh, saying, uh, I'm going to show you how it works. And, uh, and he did it. He, he actually built the tech uh, that is more efficient at, protect, at protecting people on social media. Right. So Bodyguard, a technology that is efficient at protecting people on social media. How does it work? What is it? So it's a, it's a tech a unique technology to protect people, platforms, communities uh, against toxic content. Uh, how it works? We've got four layers of technology. Uh, the first one is to actually understand uh, what people are trying to say. On social media, uh, you're not writing like um, Shakespeare, for instance. Uh, so the, uh, the first layer is to understand the nuances, the abbreviations, the sensor words, the typos, the emojis, everything you can imagine. Secondly, what we do is, is uh, a toxic detec- detection. We look at what's toxic into the content, uh, into the comments, into the messages, and we apply a category and a severity to every single content we analyze. Then it's a contextual analysis. Uh, we are able to distinguish between uh, different message recipients. A message directed to you uh, is very different to a message that is directed to a group of people or someone who is not uh, in a conversation, um, So, which is very, very important here. The, the idea is, we are not a keyword moderation solution. We are here to understand the intent of the message. And the last layer is actually um, um, to set up custom, uh, custom rules. The idea is everyone is different. Uh, why would you um, have the same moderation rules for yourself and for someone else uh, who lives you know, in Indonesia, for instance? Um, so with all of that, we come with a decision, which is this, this content is toxic. Uh, it should be removed from the platform. Or this uh, content is actually neutral and it should stay. Right. So this is the platform. And how does it look for the user? What is it? Uh, what form does it take? So for the user, it is via an app. So you download the Bodyguard app, uh, which is for free. There's no ads uh, on it. 
uh, you connect your social networks to it, and that's it. That's that's it. Um, then what the, the the app does is we are connected to your social networks, so we read um, and understand your message in real time, and we actually uh, follow your rules. So uh, I take I take some examples here because it differs on platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, on uh, YouTube, for instance, this is your channel, this is your videos, so you're allowed to actually delete the comments there. So if you want us to remove the comments that are toxic, we can do it. On Twitter, for instance, when someone mentions you, uh, you're not able to uh, remove the content. This is not yours. Um, so what you can do is actually you can mute or block the person. Uh, and you tell us when you want to do that. If the person is very um, harassing, for instance, uh, after free messages, the person can be blocked automatically. So we do follow the rules of the platforms there. Right. And you are doing all this basically before these messages reach my Twitter app or my YouTube app or any other app I'm using. That's correct. And that's actually the beauty of it is that the technology is preventive. Uh, when you look at um, moderation solutions um, today, it is done by a human uh, most, of the, most, of, most of the time. So you need people to read the comment and actually remove the content after someone reads it, which is you know helpful, but not uh, very interesting. When you receive thousands of comments uh, which are toxic on a daily basis, you're affected by it. Yeah, absolutely. That's for sure. But uh, also what I'm thinking about right now is, uh, you know, the online landscape evolves over time. Our language evolves over time a lot. And obviously the content that we would consider toxic also does evolve over time. So how does uh, Bodyguard evolve over time to be able to uh, still recognize this kind of content? It's a very good question because that's something uh, people forget a lot. When you've got machine learning algorithms, you need to feed them all the time with a lot of data. Uh, that's what we're not using this model. A model is actually a bit more manual. We've got uh, NLP specialists, so natural language processing specialists, who actually they'll go every day on social media and they search for new type of um, online hate. They search for new forms of uh, mockeries and new forms of insults. And they look at them and they try to understand how like they're written and how they form and feedback directly to the technology, um, these new forms of aid. So in real time, we are able to update our technology, which is very exciting. So when you look at it, um, if someone is like attacked in LA, for instance, like on Tuesday, on Wednesday, we are able to protect everybody who is using the app and our technology. Right, I understand. So does the fact that Bodyguard, the app, the platform exist, does it actually mean that the platforms, the social media are failing in uh, combating uh, toxic content there? Uh, I would not say, uh, you know, failing here. Um, to, to be honest with you, uh, you know, content moderation is a very, very broad topic. You know, from comments moderation, which is our expertise, to children protection, fake news, and, you know, even the cancer culture, you know, it's part of it. So let's say we do a great job uh, at some aspects of it and not so good at others. Um, do you want to start with the good things or the bad things? <laughs> mm, let's go for uh, with bad first and then good th- good second. Okay, okay. What we're feeling at in the first place is um, cyber harassment. Uh, when you look at the numbers, so more than 60 people commit suicide uh, because of it. Uh, that's 247 million people under 20 who have been bullied online every year. So when you look at the numbers, they're not doing great there. So what it means here is that when it comes to protecting people, when you're protecting individuals, 
the, the tech is not doing great. Um, and that's 100% for sure. The second aspects of what they're not doing good is diversity of opinions. If you look at how the platforms are you know, built, it is all around recommended uh, videos, recommended content. And so they tend to force you into this you know, tunnel of information which are the same all the time. Um, it's a bit different than content moderation, but what I mean by that is they, they, they tend to force you to read the exact same thing, consume the exact same thing. So um, you don't actually be, you're not very open uh, and not very respectful to other ideas um, because of that. And that's a really big uh, part of it. You know, education is really, really important when it comes to content moderation. So this is where they fail, uh, where um, I think they're doing a good job. And to be honest, they're doing a really good job uh, around, you know, racism, homophobia, and toxic words, uh, which are, you know, widely used. Uh, I believe that, you know, social media are becoming more and more inclusive. And I think that's a really good thing there. The second aspects where they, they do good is, um, is fake news. I think they are improving every day. Uh, fake news is very, very hard. And, um, I, I want to, I want to say maybe, um, that Twitter is doing a good job at that. The way they flag uh, the full source of information is actually pretty good. Uh, they, they, they're making good progress on that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So if you are doing a better job at some of these things uh, than the platforms, did you actually offer your technology to these platforms to build it in there? Like, why uh, why not just do that and uh, uh, kill off all the toxicity at its core? Um, yeah, that would be great. But, um, you know, with them, it's, um, it's a love-hate relationship. Uh, they, they love us in some aspects. Uh, they allow us to help the users. So we do have, like, you know, have access to the APIs. We are not, we are able to uh, help people on the platforms, but they don't want to, uh, you know, acquire us uh, for the moment. Uh, they don't want us to, um, to be, um, to be seen as that big because they think that they're going to solve the issue. Uh, we believe they are really far behind when it comes to cyber harassment, for instance. So that's the point of view. That's our point of view. Uh, at the end of the day, they know they need us, um, and we are here to support them. Um, so that's a, that's a pretty, uh, you know, short answer for a very complex relationship. Right. So if we are being listened to by any people from these platforms, you should definitely take action right now. Anyway, uh, speaking of platforms, uh, Bodyguard currently supports, as far as I can see, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitch. Are there other platforms in the works, and why is Facebook missing? Yeah, so Facebook is a, is an interesting interesting one. We do have access to uh, Facebook pages uh, for businesses, so I'm able to protect businesses on Facebook, and this is what I, I do currently. But I'm not able to protect individuals, uh, you know, personal profiles. Uh, the reason is very uh, you know easy to understand uh, is uh, the Cambridge Analytica scandal uh, that occurred uh, a few years ago. The idea was that uh, the company, Comigenetica, used a lot of data to influence the elections. Some of the elections, you know, Brexit, uh, you know, the first uh, Trump campaign, uh, a few other campaigns uh, in Central America, for instance. And so from that moment in, point, in, fact, that moment in time, they are like, uh, we're going to um, like cut all API access for personal data. So that's why we're not able to access it. Uh, when it comes to TikTok, I'd love to be there because lots of um, you know youngsters are using it. But you know it's a Chinese company; and they're not very open when it comes to data, <laughs> uh, to say the least. Um, so not able to access it. But we do chat with them. Uh, they are very open uh, 
in chatting, but not really with the data. And Snapchat was actually built in a, like a, a no data kind of uh, kind of idea. You know, the at the very beginning, Snapchat was there's actually no data store. You know, you take a photo, it disappears. Um, so they they're not um, they're not really open to the idea of sharing data either. We are pretty strong on that platforms, and and where we can actually help is with the new social networks. Like we're looking at the big ones, but others are coming, and others are coming with really good ideas, and others are coming with strong uh, community guidelines and with strong moderation guidelines. So, and this is where we can fit in, and this is where we can actually help a lot. Instead of investing millions and millions uh, in a strong tech, you, they can actually use Bodyguard uh, internally. Now that you mentioned TikTok, would you actually be able to moderate videos? Uh, videos themselves, no, but comments on the videos, yes. So if you right. look at yeah, if you look at TikTok today, uh, you know the competitor uh, trailer on Twitter there's actually no moderation when it comes to comments. You can actually comment anything you want. It's it's uh, it's actually pretty bad uh, on uh, on all the videos. Right, right. And you mentioned that you also offer these uh, protection services to businesses. So is this how you actually make money since your app for individuals is free? That's correct. Yeah, we are kind of a, a Robin Hood. Um, the idea is to protect uh, people for free. And the way we can do that is with, um, you know, with businesses. And as I said, the idea is very simple. Our moderation can be, our moderation technology can be used with any uh, platforms on any uh, channels. Um, so the main industries uh, for us are the media, um, social networks. Then you've got the gaming industry, pretty toxic and an industry that is trying to change itself. And there are lots of interactions on there. Uh, brands are also using a technology to uh, protect themselves when it comes to e-reputation and brand safety. Uh, and lots of um, so software providers. Providers uh, who are actually, uh, you know, reselling uh, chatbots, uh, chat uh, boxes, and uh, interaction modes. Mm -hmm. I understand. Right. So you, uh, as far as as far as again, I read about uh, the company. So you are currently working with about five million accounts across all the different platforms. What what do you see there? And like uh, of all these comments that are coming to these accounts, what's the share of the toxic content? What's the share of the comments uh, that uh, is getting blocked by you? Um, so it, it's actually not accounts, but the, uh, the, the, the 5 million number is the number of messages we analyze per month. Um, so that, that was in October last right. year. Okay. Today we, yeah, today we're sitting more around, you know, the 8 uh, million mark. So 8 millions of comments analyzed per month. And, uh, if I get your question right, uh, how much of them are actually toxic? Uh, and the number is yeah, exactly. around, yeah, the number is around 1%. When you look at it, you think, oh, this is not big. Oh, you know, that's only a lot. 1%. That's a lot. That's a lot. Now, when you go on social media, the point is actually not to be hateful. It's to, you know, share ideas, photos uh, with your friends, family, and people you know. Like, the idea is not to be hateful against people. So, one comment out of 100 is massive, is huge. And uh, at times, um, when I look at the um, data, I like, I don't really believe it. But when you look at uh, details of what actually is happening, um, is uh, is quite sad. Um, if you follow media on social platforms, it's actually a higher number. On some instances, when policymakers uh, are live on social media, the rate, the online, we call it the, the hate rate, uh, goes around the four to five percent mark, uh, which is uh, which is very sad. 
Right. So, I mean, I obviously understand that we are, uh, that this does not mean that 1% of all comments on social networks uh, are toxic because these are also the people and the brands who turn uh, to bodyguard. They most probably have already experienced uh, sort of toxicity and they are activi- actively looking to get rid of it. But anyway, 1% is, is quite a lot, if you ask me. So, uh, last question to wrap this up. Do you think that bodyguard can actually be, let's say, the ultimate solution to the whole problem of uh, online toxicity? Or is there something else that has to be done? Do we need to do something different? Do, pl- do the platforms need to change in any way? What's the big vision? Yeah, the, the big vision is we, uh, we want, our vision, you know, is to provide people and businesses the ultimate protection solution. You know, looking at that, we do need help to treat the cause as well. Uh, the idea is to bring systemic change. Uh, the idea is not to only protect people. And, and the way we, we can actually bring systemic change is with partners. Um, so we work a lot uh, with NGOs. Uh, we work a lot with local organizations. Um, I can, you know, speak about uh, ISD, the Institute of Strategic Dialogue. You know, they, they've got like lots of solutions uh, to extremism, hate, and disinformation. Uh, we, we work a lot uh, with local organizations, uh, you know, in France, in Europe, uh, in the US as well. Then you've got policymakers. So we work a lot with them. So we share our thoughts, uh, our ideas uh, with policymakers uh, in Europe. You know, we are involved in uh, the DSA uh, paper at the moment. Uh, and then lastly, we actually, um, you know, exchange a lot with big tech, uh, especially Google, that I mentioned a few times. Around research, around what we do, um, it's not easy every day, but we, we do try to push them in one direction. Um, so the idea is that, you know, as a group, we can actually change things. But, you know, what, what is actually very important to us is that we listen to people. Uh, they are the ones experiencing online hate. And uh, as a business, uh, we, I think we are the, the, the one listening to them as much as we can. Uh, the idea is that we need to understand the issue. We need to understand what people are going through um, to bring solutions. Uh, this is not looking up like at an exact level that you're going to um, change the world. And one more quick follow-up since you already mentioned the DSA. Do you think that uh, the way the DSA is formulated now, it is going to uh, bring positive change to uh, this particular part of the internet issues? I hope so. To be honest, I hope so. I mean, in, in the first place, when you have policymakers working on uh, something like that, it's actually a good thing. You know, the internet is a wide place. Um, so having rules and regulations in place is actually not something, uh, you know, bad in the first place. To be honest with you, the DSA is very, very um, ambitious. I have a lot of things into that. Uh, so I'd be curious to see where they want to start and how they're going to start. The one mistake that was made in France, one uh, mistake was made in Germany as well, is that you know online hate is very complex and it's really hard to regulate online hate as an issue. You need to separate issues uh, one by one. You know cyberbullying, online hate, harassment, uh, racism. Everything needs to be you know um, differentiated. And I hope that the DSA uh, is going to be built like that. Right, because the way I understand DSA at the moment is that it mostly uh, talks about the illegal content, and then it is sort of up to the member states to define what illegal content is. And then there is the illegal content, and there is the harmful content. The harmful content, if it's not illegal, then the DSA does not deal with it at all. So is there any good solution, do you think? Is there a one-size-fits-all solution that would sort of solve this uh, problem on uh, the regulatory level? 
Exactly. So you get the point that it is very complex for Europe to deal with it. Uh, and I think the point is actually what you said is there is no one uh, size fits all. We need to start with one issue. And I think the most important issue as an, as a nation, as a, an organization is cyber harassment. Let's start by protecting people. And to that, if, you know, if someone in the street uh, goes and attack you verbally, you have the right to get to the police station and say, this person was actually uh, really dangerous to me. Let's give people the same right online. Uh, let's start with that, and then we build on other um, on um, on other layers. Right, understood. Okay, that's been a lot of last questions from me, uh, Matthew. <laughs> thank you so much uh, for joining today, and uh, good luck with uh, what you're doing at Bodyguard. Thank you so much, and uh, talk to you soon. And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, subscribe today whenever you listen to your podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Our audio engineering is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are always very welcome. Send them to podcast at tech.eu. This was TechEU Podcast. I am Andrew Degler, and I will talk to you again next week. For now, take care and enjoy the weekend. Bye-bye.